You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. How badly did the Jedi religion need to be deconstructed? How important is family to the hero's journey? And how modern have our favorite group of turtles really become? We're excited to talk about all of this and more this time on Systematic Geek Ology. We're going to be discussing the first two episodes of the Disney Plus series Ahsoka. We'll talk about the Blue Beetle film and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem movie that recently came out. Again, this is Systematic Geekology. We are the priests to the geeks. I say we. Um, I have another host here, a guest who will be back momentarily, I assume. Uh, we also have the first time Adam bear has been on the show as a host will be this episode he is just going to be here a little bit later um but before we do you guys remember joe day he a former host of systematic geekology who now is uh running a teenage mutant ninja turtles podcast shell shop so Joe, uh, good to have you back, man. You want to tell us some about your other podcast uh, or anything before we jump into things? Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, before we before we get started, there has to be what's up, you geeks, man. I miss you guys. <laughs> um, so yeah, I uh, I have been off working on a new YouTube channel, um, Shell Shock uh, TMNT series, where. Uh, we celebrate everything having to do with the heroes in the half shell. And uh, right now we're uh, in the midst of covering the crossover. Well, the first crossover between the turtles and the power Rangers. And we're also uh, covering the 87 cartoon currently. Um, And you can find a full length breakdown of my thoughts on mutant mayhem over there as well. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I share some of that on our Facebook group, Priest to the Geeks. I I love the '80s cartoon, so if you haven't seen it, watch it, uh, then listen to Joe's reviews on it. It's it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun there. Um, yeah. So that being said, still waiting on Adam, but we're going to go ahead and march on. If you're watching this live on Facebook or YouTube, um, you can shout out where you're listening to down below, and I'll announce it here in a minute. Also, you can let us know what you've been geeking out on. We'd like to hear it. But we always start off before getting to the big main topic we're planning to talk about today, which today we're going to be talking Ahsoka, Mutant Mayhem, and Blue Beetle. But before that, we like to do our lightning round. We're just going to go through real quick and talk about some of the other stuff we've been getting into recently that... uh. We don't have the time to talk about as part of our main thing today. Um, Joe, did you want to go first? You want me to run through a few things? I'll run a few. I'll run through a few things. So I have been um, geeking out on um, retro gaming. I have been working on my um, collection of consoles and my my setup. Um, I've actually been playing through the original. Uh, Zelda, Zelda one, um, nice. a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Um, yeah, 
I've been uh, also geeking out on music a lot because since I have been away from SG, I have um, gotten back into the music scene um, and have been have started playing again and all of that. So nice, nice. Yeah, I uh, there's a lot of good content out these days, um, and I just really don't have the time to run through everything. For those of us, those of you who have been watching some of the What's New over the summer, you know I was huge into Strange New World Season 2. Um, I was able to review everything except for the last episode so far. And, and you might be disappointed that I'm not making that one of the main topics today, but it's mostly because uh, there wasn't too much to it. It really felt more like the beginning of Season 3 than the end of Season 2. I loved it. Uh, it's a little bit of a cliffhanger. You start to see some of the relationships come together of Spock and the other characters, like romance scenes getting on, all that good stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool, but it's more of like an intro to something than it was its own thing. So whenever the next season comes out, I'll be glad to talk about it. But for now, I'm just going to put a little note in here for that. Um, Hades. There is a Hades comic book that started part of Disney's Villains comic series. Um, I told you guys some about the Scar series where it's a it's not like their origins. It's more of from their perspective, what happened during the movies in between some of the scenes kind of stuff is what you're seeing. Um, Scar was really interesting seeing the the we do see the motivation for the hyenas. I love it. It's still going on. Um, I skipped over Maleficent because a lot of people have superhero fatigue, but I've been with Disney too long and I just have Maleficent fatigue. I'm tired of her. <laughs> um Hades though I love Hades and this yeah fantastic intro really cool getting to some like classic Greek mythology but obviously with that Disney child friendly spin but the art's really nice um yeah. I always like the art around Hercules so it's cool I uh I, I feel like I would be very into both a Scar and a Hades yeah. comic because you're talking about like the the stuff that was popular when I was a kid and growing up and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the things that I did forget to mention is my wife and I have started going back through the Arrowverse now that it's completely wrapped up. Um, starting back from the beginning, and we're watching it in nice. uh, chronological order. So we're so we're jumping from like series to series by episode by episode to like watch it in order. It's fascinating. I'll say I think that makes my head spin thinking about it. Like there's so much there, so much uh, so much content. Um, Lots of cartoons on Hulu to mention. Futurama is back with a new season. Really, there's nothing too deep to talk about. I just think Futurama's funny. <laughs> there's a few episodes I could talk about, but, you know, that would be if we did our own Futurama episode or series or something. I don't feel like it needs to be like a main thing. Um, they sold our opposites. They brought back and replaced the voice actor who was Rick from Rick and Morty. I don't remember his name because I never cared that much. I just know he's bad now. Um <laughs> Solar Opposites is, it's fun. It's, you know, it's cool. I enjoy it. And this week they're bringing back Disenchanted or Disenchantment. I forget the name of it for some reason. I love that series though. That series is actually interesting. It really does a lot of deconstruction of how we do our fantasy stories through comedy. So I, I enjoy it a lot. Hulu's doing a lot with all of those. I know they're bringing back King of the Hill as well. Um, there was a another thing coming out soon that I wanted to mention. Obviously, oh, One Piece. A lot of One Piece stuff. Um, in the anime, they finally got to Gear 5. Uh, some of the animation there, they're talking about how that's going to make history for animation stuff. Um, 
I'm excited about that. Um, and then, of course, the live action One Piece starts this week. I'm very nervous. I'm obviously going to watch all of it and either rave about it on here about how angry I am or go on about how excited I am. One of the two. So we'll see. Can't wait for that. That being that, uh, I think I'm good with what's been going on new other than our main topics. Did you have anything else you wanted to add, Joe? So most of the stuff that I have to add will probably come up during the course of uh, talking about Mutant Mayhem. Nice, nice. And with that, we introduce, for the first time as host, the one and only Adam Bear. Adam, welcome to the stream. Hello. <laughs> and with that, we are also going to go ahead and end our lightning round and go right into the main topics today, starting with Blue Beetle. Um, not sure if either of y'all have seen this yet. Have y'all seen the movie yet? Twice. Twice. Nice. So I, I take it if you watched it twice, you must have enjoyed it. Yes. I, I liked it a lot. Um, I had my complaints, but mostly I'm like, hey, this is great. Um, and, and even even honestly, if I'm going to be real, a lot of my complaints are more less to do with the movie and more to do with just not being sure where it fits. So more behind the scenes complaints than in movie complaints, personally, because it, it kind of does this thing of like where why can't I think of his name? Guardians of the Galaxy guy. He's now the DC guy. James Gunn. Thank you. Yeah, James Gunn makes this weird statement of like, this is the first movie that happened in the DCU, but the first DCU movie is Superman. And I don't understand how that makes sense. Um, that that makes sense from the standpoint of um, James Gunn was given a, a ball of wax to, un, a, a big ball of yarn to <laughs> untangle. And uh, P, good PR is 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 a heck of a thing when you're dealing with something that doesn't really have a whole lot of good PR behind it. Like I've you yeah. you guys know me that have heard me talk on on air here about uh the fact that I am probably kinder than your average person uh towards the uh the DCEU and the Snyderverse and all of that kind of stuff. I'm a fan, but I think it's very safe to say that um the whole the whole of the DC cinematic universe right now is kind of a mess. And so I think that mo had more to do with this is going really well. And so we want to like pull this in because this is going this is get you know, there's fanfare to this. Yeah. Do you know, did the events of this movie happen before or after what happened in The Flash where they kind of reset everything? There's no definitive answer to that. Anything <laughs> that would be said about that would just be headcanning, headcanning the the situation. Yeah, I honestly, I wonder how much that has to do with it. Didn't do great in the box office, but I thought it was a great movie, and and I do wonder how much of it was just people not knowing if it matters more or less. Which you should just watch a movie because you like the movie, but you know. <laughs> well, that's so. If if I can you know go ahead and go ahead and grab the mic and start talking about blue beetle here um i think that's one of the things that i appreciate about blue beetle and oh i will loop in 
even back to um, Shazam and Black Adam, that there are aspects of this that go against what has been established with where Marvel is now. And and it, it celebrates movies like this idea of just going and having a good time with a movie. <laughs> you don't need to watch 17 shows and 15 years worth of movies and re-tie-in material in order to know what's going on. You can just pick this movie up and just watch it. And I think when when because so much of the training is what's the continuity of it all and couple that with a very public mess of the DC cinematic world, you mm-hmm. end up with a bunch of people like, I, I don't know if I, uh, A, I think superhero fatigue is absolutely a thing. And B, uh, a lot of people not being a fan of some of the decisions that were being made, a lot of people not being a fan of the flash and stuff like that. And so mm-hmm. you kind of end up in this situation where even though it's a great movie, it's box office numbers aren't great for this. Yeah. I, I, I was disappointed by that personally because yeah. it, it was good. And I have always liked Blue Beetle, which is something I did want to bring up to you, with you guys just to see everybody's history. Because a lot of people have no idea who this character is, which was also true of Iron Man when they started things. So I'm like, eh, that shouldn't matter that much. But I, I, I loved Blue Beetle. I remember in high school when I started going back to comics, I went to the um, our local library in Charlotte and, while my dad was at work. And I would just pick up graphic novels to read. And some of the most fun to me. You know, usually I went towards Marvel, but I really loved the Blue Beetle comics. Um, what, what about you guys? Have you guys ever read Blue Beetle or seen him? And like, where have you seen him before this, I guess, would be the question. DC Universe Online. Okay. That's that's one of the first times I was exposed to DC Universe Online. It's, a, it's, a, it's DC's MMO um, that came out man, oh. probably about 10 years ago, if not longer. So it was there. It was there world of warcraft um and it was good it was a lot of fun but the him and booster gold is probably that's one of the first like i have no clue who those are but they're they're in the game they're in there a little bit i'm trying to think there was someplace else where i saw blue beetle i can't remember now Uh, i hear he was in like an old justice league cartoon or something maybe yeah he was in the he was in the the justice league and justice league unlimited cartoons hmm yeah. See, well, was he this iteration of him? I feel like I've seen the Blue Beetle. We had kind of like the half mask and the yellow eyes, but isn't isn't the Blue Beetle that's standard? The Blue Beetle that we see in the movie isn't he? Um, didn't he pop up someplace? He wasn't the one that was in the Justice League animated series, was he? I do believe that was Jaime Reyes. Yeah, that. So there's okay. three, there there's three iterations. Um, Dan, Dan Garrett, yeah, Dan Garrett, uh, Ted Cord, and um, and Jaime. Uh, I do believe that Jaime was the main Blue Beetle. I don't remember if they showed Ted Cord in the cartoon. Which, if they did, that would be the the version, the older version of the character that you're thinking of with that style of of aesthetic. 
Hmm. Interesting. I uh, I don't remember which one I read back in the day, but the um one I, I found it's interesting as a kid. I just never like Batman, but I didn't really get into a lot of the DC cartoons or anything like that. So I just knew him from that one comic series. Um, but what's weird is the movie, just because of timing, real life timing, the movie's coming out at a time where people are like, oh, this is another Iron Man or, oh, he can make anything go. So he's like Green Lantern. Um, even who the bad guy ends up being and everything, it's very. Um, it's very reminiscent of like MCU formula kind of stuff like the MCU formula. Everybody complains about this movie does all of the things that the MCU formula people say is. And I find it interesting because I think it's the thing that suffers from the most is, oh, this is just like all these other things. But comics, uh, Blue Beetle came out in 1939 before Green Lantern, before Iron Man, you know, before all of those. So he was originally a really novel idea. But because most people are being introduced to him from the movies, it feels like, oh, this has been done before for a lot of this. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to the conversation of superhero fatigue. And I think I think it's not just that. I think there's so much baggage surrounding these IPs. I think the issue and we'll talk a little bit about about it when we get to Ahsoka. Um, there is uh, there, there, there's so much more baggage that's now with these IPs than there was 10 years ago, um, because even though there's been there, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of. Um, negative fan interactions and so people it's not just a matter of simply let's have this really great movie you enjoy there's all these all these things on top of it and, and i think that's uh, unfortunately that's gonna ruin uh things like blue beetle is because it's not just hey look here's a really good superhero it's hey look here's this superhero and the mixture of all this baggage that doesn't need to be around it yeah 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 and that's one thing that i found surprising which I am not everybody. I'm just speaking for myself. I never thought that I had superhero fatigue. Because, you know, I like superheroes. I still watch all the movies. But I, one of the things that I realized while watching this is how relieved I felt that it wasn't some kind of spin on. And I realized that's been a lot of my frustration with your more recent superhero movies. It was it's this superhero, but, uh, you know, we changed something about their genealogy. We changed how they look. We changed this. It's this superhero, but it's also a spy thriller. And we don't really get just, it's just a fun superhero movie. And I watched this and I was like, and I, and I think also because I went into it expecting it to have a lot of commentary on ice and, you know, you know migration stuff. And it was, yeah, they mentioned it, but it was just a superhero movie, man. <laughs> um, so I'm, cu <laughs> I'm curious. When Interesting. You say, so I, I, I heard you, I heard you say, um that this has a lot of the mcu formula stuff to it yeah. um i would hard disagree for a couple of core reasons but my i'm i'm curious josh to get your two cents one of the big movies among pundits that this movie is getting compared to is homecoming a lot of people are comparing the uh, Jaime Reyes to the way that they played originally, like the first iteration of Tom Holland's um, uh, Peter Parker. 
that like there's that same kind of feel to it. Um, and I'm curious to get your to get your two cents on that. I don't see it at all. <laughs> like I just other than they're both young. Yeah. They Young, don't like down they, on their luck, plucky. Like I, I, I don't know. I guess they don't have the same sense of humor. They're, they're not like they're not both like hyper intelligent. They're not in the same part of life. Like I'm like I just I don't get it. I I think the I think the real question is is even if you do make that comparison, which I can see that I can see that comparison, and I haven't seen the movie, but just from the trailer and the marketing, I can see that comparison. But the question is. If there is that comparison, does that make the movie bad? Does that make the story not worth telling? Does that make the characters not worth seeing? Just because even if it can make that comparison, I mean, you look at the movies Armageddon and Deep Impact. They both came out around the same time. They're both movies about a giant asteroid. And they're both really good and really enjoyable for different reasons. Why can't both those movies exist in the same space and be enjoyable and be good and be worth watching and be at the, and at the same time, both be excellent works of all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the good. Oh, be. I agree with that. If I were to make the comparisons for for me personally, it, it was really weird. Parts of it felt very much like old superhero movies of like old Superman, Tobey Maguire, Spider Man. Of like, I was watching this, going, this actually feels big. Somehow in the MCU, and I love the MCU. Somehow, even when they do like galaxy stuff, it never feels big. But this one, I was like, this felt like this city felt larger than life. The yeah. character feels larger than life. And I was like, this is wild. And yet it still had a lot of your very down to earth comedy. This is a family that's down on their luck. The bad guy is kind of like an in-town bad guy. And it's like, how do, it somehow manages to both be like down, like on the ground and also huge. And I thought that balance was really interesting. Yeah, um, definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, I think for me, one of the, one of the biggest things that I appreciated about this, and it's funny because I would compare this movie more closely to Shazam than I would to Black Adam, because I'll be the first one to admit, I appreciated Black Adam very, very specifically because of where I'm at in ministry, who I, who, like what I do all of that kind of stuff like black adam was a very like i if if you could if you could cherry pick a a, a perfect test audience for a movie like black adam i would i would be your guy um with this and a movie like shazam it just was fun without feeling like like it, it had stakes and it had weight mm-hmm and and it was there, there were movies that you could build a world around but for me this was a breath of fresh air just in a different direction and i try to get yeah. away from comparing it to the mcu because it's different it's not you know some yeah. people like the mcu other people don't whatever that that I think more has more to do with your own personal taste and and is irrelevant to whether or not the movie is actually good or not. But I think in this case, these were characters that have legs to them that you could that I could see being a part of something bigger. Oh, yeah, you you definitely don't watch this and think, I hope that's the only time I'll see these characters. You're like, 
ready for the next one. It's almost like when you watch a good TV show and you're like, okay, let's go ahead and start the next one. I know it's too late, but I have to finish. And you're like, oh, wait, I actually have to wait. <laughs> you know, and well, I, I love that. And I think I think you hit something really on the head there. Part of the issue is the fact that we have this culture right now, this nerd culture of comparing everything to everything else. It's like we can't just look at things in an isolated, like isolated standpoint of, you know, did it have good characters? Was it good storytelling? Did I like the people involved? You know, we we don't have that anymore. It's it's this constant need to compare it to one thing to the other. It's like, and it's just like what I was saying before. They can all exist in the same space, and yeah, maybe Iron Man one is better than Iron Man. Then maybe Iron Man one is better. But that doesn't mean this is any less good or any less enjoyable, any less fun to watch. As the Marvel guy, I'm going to go on record and say I enjoyed this more than Iron Man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, as the DC guy, I'll go I'll go on record and say. Um, I can see how. Hmm, how do I say this? I can see what everybody loved about Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Like I, I, I can, uh, and, and I, I can see that energy, but it took me seeing a different character displaying that energy for me to get that now. Yeah. That probably is somewhere baked into all of that, a backhanded comment on Spider-Man. And I have been vocal about the fact that for me, in my opinion, Tobey Maguire is my Spider-Man. But I think for me, I can see how, oh, I saw hints of this elsewhere. I saw bits of this in these other movies. This energy is over here and all of that kind of stuff. But you go take it to something sci-fi, right? For how for for how long have us as Trek fans been like what in the wide world of sports is the point of saying oh it has to be you you can't be a star trek fan and a star wars fan that's stupid so i i I agree with adam that it's it's acceptable for us to just say i really enjoyed this like i i personally yes the the for me this is like a new breath of fresh air i'll say it like that like this is a new breath of fresh air for comic book movies and these are the comic book movies that i would go out to see marvel lost yes like several movies ago i have zero interest in in going out to see another marvel movie for me for all intents and purposes it's done Hmm. that's my choice that's not everybody's choice But to me, that's what I love about this is it's like it feels like a fresh start again. Yeah, I personally, some of my least favorite and most favorite Marvel stuff was in phase four. So I I don't get all of the complaining, especially off of Guardians three. I'm like, that was just one of the best movies they've done, maybe the best they've done, Um, which is ironic because that's James Gunn. When I, when I when I was doing the thing, though, I'm not saying that it feels like MCU. It does not feel like MCU at all. I, I really feel like it has its own unique feel to this movie. Blue Beetle doesn't feel like Iron Man. It doesn't feel techie. It doesn't just feel alien. It somehow just feels like Blue Beetle. And like, like when I do the comparison of like the Marvel formula, people, I, I literally just mean like the tropes. 
there is bad guy version of Blue Beetle, right? There is, we have a comedy guy here. We have the popular actor. Like, those things are there, but it doesn't feel like that to me. Right. So, yeah, that's that's just all me. Um, we do, so, I'm moving along. Okay, go ahead. Real quick, just because for as as a DC guy, um, OMAC isn't really, like, yes, For if you're speaking in terms of the movie, OMAC is not, uh, or is like they they set it up obviously to be the bad guy equivalent to Blue Beetle. There is actually a bad guy equivalent to Blue Beetle from the comics. Um, Omac is the predecessor, like the the building blocks for like Brother Eye with for Batman and all of that kind of stuff. Like it opened the door wide for a lot of concepts. That's why that's a big part of why beyond just the characters, it's a big part of why I'm like okay, we need to start building the new DC cinematic universe around this because now we can get past, we don't need to see the pearls and popcorn. We don't need to see young boy uh, Superman. We don't need to see origin stories anymore. Let's just get off to the races. Let's just start building a universe. You know what I mean? And yeah, I mean... There, there's more that could be said about this if we were to turn it into a full-on conversation about Blue Beetle. Um, I would seriously, seriously, strongly, very strongly disagree that it only lightly touched on the immigration issues and all of that, like the racism that was in this movie that 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 was set up and all of that kind of stuff was like, like if if racism pisses you off. I'd be very careful watching this movie because just about every single person who isn't a core set of people, super duper racist. And like, that was a huge subplot that, okay, we got out of the way. I really, really hope that we move forward with the next one with galactic uh, issues and those kinds of things, because those are the things that Blue Beetle deals with and contends with in the comics. Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to suggest that it was like a minor thing. It just wasn't the point of the movie. Like they didn't make it revolve around that to the point that it ruined it for me. Like it was just it was a good point. It was there, but it wasn't. This is what the movie is about. I think the movie was about family personally, which more on that in a second. For now, I wanted to go ahead and before we get to like some of the like philosophies or things that like messaging of the movie, if you had to rate it from zero to ten, Joe, I'll let you go first. Where are you putting this movie? So like, how would you grade it? Nine, nine and a half. I would probably say a strong nine and a half. Um, I, I just, yeah. I mean, yeah. this is this for me is is uh, at this stage of my life, it wouldn't have been at, at an earlier stage of my life. I would have hated this movie. I would have thought it was bubble gum. I would have thought it was not not good. Um, I uh, but. I think at this stage, this is exactly what I'm looking for in a superhero movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mostly agree. I'd probably give it an eight just because, you know, for me, I'm thinking of ratings more like a comparison than anything. And I'm like, you know, I didn't like it as much as like Thor Ragnarok or some of the older Batman movies or, you know, some of that. But at the end of the day, I love this. This was so much fun. This was some of the most fun I've had in a theater in a long time. I love Guardians 3. I wept like a baby. I don't know if I'd say it was fun. This was fun, you know? So that's where I'm at. Um, as far as like the, the themes go, 
yeah, we mentioned they definitely do touch on some of the like race people being racist jerks, right? Um, but I, I even think with that, a lot of the racism stuff also like they coupled it with like the wealth gap. Like it wasn't just racist, it was also oh, poor people kind of mentality, yeah. I thought. Yeah. And um I, I don't know. To me, that felt very real, you know, like where I live in the Charlotte area and outside Charlotte, I'm like, yeah, no, there's definitely this like those are the people with money. They get to do those kind of things. And we're the people without money and we get to do these kind of things. And it's like that separation, totally real. And it made the movie feel really grounded to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as far as like the, the theme of family, what I thought was interesting, and I just kind of wanted your guys thoughts on this and we'll move on. Um, the, the main, which felt like the main theme to me was family um, for Hamera. I don't know if I'm saying his name, right. <laughs> His strength, you know, they made it a very clear point. His strength was his family, but they didn't leave that alone. They didn't just say, oh, family excuses everything, because you also see um, what made the bad guy bad was the family, right? There was two bad guys, really. And the other one was bad because of trauma that had to do with losing family. So, like, it wasn't just family is good, end of story. And yes, his family, so much fun. It's the biggest draw of the movie is how the family interacted with each other. But you also see family can be tragic and it can also be bad. And I, I like that comparison instead of just leaving it at the like cheesy bubblegum family is good. You know, I think that they I, I think the way that they handled it was was really well done um, in the layers that came out, even if. Um, so so in this in this section is where they ventured the furthest away from. Um, the source material that, but, but I would call it worth it. So, because the, the, the way that it was all handled was quite well, quite well done. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was funny. Cause like, it, it was a little bit amusing that his family, they were fine with killing, but him personally was like, Oh, we can never kill. That's bad. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, but your grandma straight up just has this fully automatic weapon that she's flying around right now. It was, uh, it was good stuff. I loved this movie. I loved his family. I loved all the characters. I'm excited to see most of them back in future things. So, yeah. Uh, I don't I don't really, you know, I didn't see the movie. And, you know, I, I saw a lot of, I, I watched some commentary on the movie, decide if I wanted to go see it. And the consensus that I've seen is, you know, that it's good. And, you know, I hear a lot of the same complaints about things. Um, but I think it's great. I think if you guys saw it and really loved it and I had a really enjoyable experience, I think that's what's the most important thing. Yeah. Checks out. Well, in that case, Joe, the whole reason, uh, the, the main reason I wanted to have you here is yep. because of your expertise. Um, unfortunately I've yet to be able to see this. I also still haven't seen across the spider verse, but whatever. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie Ooh. came out. Mutant mayhem. I I hear that the hype it's not only worth the hype, but the hype isn't hype enough. Is basically what I'm hearing. Um, could you break us like break it down for us? What is this movie about? What's your relationship with the turtles? And uh, Adam and I'll talk about some of our history with it later on. But I need to know something about this movie. <laughs> so this is the first real attempt to make the turtles teenagers. For as much as the they're they're the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they haven't really been 
teenagers per se. And this was the first time that there was a major push to make them teenagers. And that, um, I think it was done quite well in, in this. Um, so I have been a lifelong Turtles fan. I got into it by way of um, the 87 cartoon and the 90s movies. Um, I My favorite series is uh, 03. Um, the the slightly more uh, adult version of the of the turtles and so for me i i wasn't sure if i was going to necessarily dig one that was for like four kids but i one of the things that i always say on the channel is that this series the 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 beautiful thing about about uh teenage mutant ninja turtles is that there's so many different on ramps. There's tur- there, every generation has their turtles, and to me, Seth Rogen set out to create a new generation's turtles, and he did that in spades. He did that, and this movie is made by somebody who grew up loving the '80s cartoon. And use the 80s cartoon as inspiration to make the the turtles teens. Um, I will give a fair warning that this movie, if you're a stickler for the age-old story of how the turtles came to be and the relationship with Splinter and Shredder and all of that backstory, this movie does not do that. It sets out to create a whole new canon, and I'm here for it. I think they did a phenomenal job at that. Um, the 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 way that it pulls in so many different characters and so many different Easter eggs and so many different nods, it doesn't require you to be a Turtles fan in order to watch this movie, but it absolutely rewards you for going into this movie, a Turtles fan. Because the reality is, is that a lot of the parents that are going to go see this with their kids are the ones that grew up on the 80s cartoon. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I um, I, I did love that 80s cartoon, personally. Um, Adam, Adam, I, I wanted to ask you before we get too much further into this, have you seen the movie yet? I, I haven't seen it yet, but... I'm curious. I haven't. I haven't. Um, I have not seen the movie yet. I don't know. It's one of those. I'm going to do a little bit of a hot take. I'm going to do a little bit of a hot take. Because in preparation for this episode, you know, I thought about my experience with the Ninja Turtles. And, you know, I loved the movies, especially the the live action films in the 90s. I really enjoyed them. But I'm just like, you know, I think that on my tier of fandoms, Ninja Turtles is pretty low. I I never I like the movies I enjoyed them as a kid but I and I can appreciate them as an adult but I I probably really wouldn't watch them I think I think it's one of those things I think it's a cultural thing that it's like our generation especially it's like well you've got to love the Ninja Turtles but why why do you love the Ninja Turtles and I think that's a really interesting question to ask people who like the Ninja Turtles why do you like the Ninja Turtles you know, I think I think for me I think I always like said I like the Ninja Turtles because 
that's culturally expected of me. And I'm just like, you know, maybe I, maybe I think they're cool and I think they're good, but maybe I, I really want to hear why you guys like to like them so much and really hear what gets you guys excited about them. Well, great news. <laughs> uh, I know Joe was an expert, but I, I just kind of want to throw out uh, turtles are easily my favorite animal. So I'm just already biased. <laughs> like I, I love actually just love turtles. I love the the commodity and like the culture of like this. These guys who are training, they're martial artists. I've always had like a thing for martial arts. Not only did I enjoy it as a kid, I participated in martial arts, did a lot of MMA in high school and a little bit in college. Um, so so I love the just kind of that aspect, the goofiness, the fun. Really, it's some of the most fun group ever. And, you know, I grew up 80s cartoon, those 90s live action movies I loved. But mostly for me, I love the Turtles video games. I got really into those. Me and my brother would play those and we'd had so much fun. They're like side scroller button mashing, but man, it was great. Um, it, it's really, I, I think it's, maybe this is a terrible answer, but a lot of it for me was just vibes. You know, I was like, this is fun. It's a good vibe. They're turtles. We're doing some ninja moves and uh, getting to, it's just accessible. So it was something that me and my brother were really able to bond over too. Yeah, that, um, you know, I, I, I think for me that it's it's a lot of those things that you had said. For me, it's, you know, I also grew up um in a in a combat sports household. Um I grew up outside of Philly, and so um boxing is like a religion out here in a lot of regards. Um and so that like anything having to do with the physicality portion was part of it when I was a kid. But um, the the story for me is a big part of it, like the canonicity of everything. When you go back to Mirage Studios and you look at all of the preponderance of backstory with Mirage Studios, when you go to IDW and everything that IDW has added to it um phenomenal like i said 2003 for me was a huge thing like that series was a lot of fun um and and i do i do rank that above 87 because eventually 87 does become um a little reductionist in in the fact that it is a giant toy commercial for a lot of it um so the 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 characters like the very distinct characters um big part of it the and and like i said just like when when you're talking about the series itself before you go outside of the series to mm -hmm. the uh, to the people involved and in all of that um that that's that's part of it or that that's a huge part of it then when you go outside of that and you get to guys like Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, mm -hmm. more so Kevin Eastman, because I'm not the biggest fan of Peter Laird, but whatever. <laughs> um, these guys, if you listen to, to, to Kevin Eastman talk in an in interview, almost universally in an interview, he will say that guys like him and Peter Laird stood on the shoulders of giants like um, Jack Kirby. And what and everything that they stood up for for um, creator owned rights and all of that. Um, guys like me, content creators like me, 
who believe very, very, very strongly in creator-owned rights, um, guys, guys like us stand on the shoulders of guys like Eastman, guys like mm-hmm. Laird, the guys who came bo- came before us, and yes, to Jack Kirby and and that generation as well. But our generation's Jack Kirby is Eastman and Laird, um, yeah, and, which, and um... you can expand that out to like the Image guys. And, you know, all of that kind of stuff. It's not just those two, but for sake of this conversation, that's why I single those two, uh, those two out. Joe's actually talked to Kevin Eastman on this show before. So, yeah, check that out. Yeah, I'm in the I'm in the process of setting up another um, interview with him. Yeah. Um, So. So, yeah, I mean, that's I will agree that there is a level of expectation when when you when you are of a particular vintage um there is almost like this unwritten expectation that you dig the turtles the 90s movies the 80s cartoon so on and so forth absolutely um i i guess i guess for me it's it's the longevity of it and and the the totality of of the story i too also did grow up with the with the um the video games i i the, the video <laughs> games are phenomenal yeah. like if you if you guys haven't anybody watching if you have not played it yet um go check out the Calabunga collection and go check out um shredder's revenge both mm-hmm. phenomenal yeah you can get the Calabunga collection on switch so you just handheld but i'm just selling this out if you're like me, other people use the TV sometimes. You know, I'm married. My wife has her shows. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to play Ninja Turtles. It's no big deal. Um, I, I did a throw because I almost disconnected the two because of like, I never read the comics before. So it just feels so different than like the 90s stuff to me. But um, I also, I, don't, I think I always just really liked the Ninja Turtles. But I don't think I loved the Ninja Turtles until The Last Ronin. When I read that comic series and then The Lost Years, man, yeah. just the character building alone. And that and that's a that's a um, that was a story that was written by um, originally by Eastman and Laird like 20 years ago as a as a this is how our universe like the Mirage, the original Mirage universe uh, ends. It's kind of like their version of um, of uh, the Dark Knight Returns. Um, And so that's that is kind of why that like fits in so well with the turtles canon is because it was create it wasn't created like after the fact recently like it really was created 20 years ago when they were still working together and all that kind of stuff yeah well (laughs) we could do that forever but i did want to bring it back to actually just talking about the movie um, you mentioned, and I know a lot of people complained or talked up about, there's been a lot of changes to the turtles through this movie. Um, Could you just run through what are some of these changes and what's different about the turtles in this? So they made, um, they made April, a lot of people, and I'm just going to go ahead and and call this out in plain English. Um, They, they made, April black and it has upset a lot of people um that <laughs> race swap a character and and you suddenly get a chance to weed out a lot of the racists in the community just saying um so 
that's part of it. Uh, Leatherhead was gender swapped. They changed the canon of um, Splinter, of how the turtles um, learned martial arts. Um, it looks like uh, they are going to be changing the backstory on Shredder um, and, and his involvement. Um, they, for the, I believe for the first time, I might be wrong. I might, um, there might be something in the comics or something, but the first time in, uh, video form separated out Baxter Stockman and Superfly and made them two separate, separate, uh, beings. Um, those are the ones that come to mind immediately. And then, and then the, the whole, um, that they're going to be going to high school. They're, they're teenagers. That portion of it kind of goes hand in hand with their origin story and those changes. But those are the, the most substantive changes. Um, I don't know. I guess I'm of the opinion that we've already gotten so many different pieces of media that have the tried and true way of doing things. And Turtles is something that's always being re rebooted. It's never... Like it is not the same as some of the, some of the other comic counterparts where, you know, you're always looking back to pearls and popcorn. You're always looking back to with great power comes great responsibility. You're always looking back to Krypton exploding, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I, I'm, I'm like, okay, so let's try something new. You have yeah. all of these different examples of how that was done really, really well before. Okay, fine. So so let's try something new. And if it yeah. bombs, it bombs, but then we tried something new. Yeah. I, I like the guts of it personally. Um I, I wanted to bring up the what I thought was interesting. Some of the original comics weren't colored in, like it was like black and white stuff. And um yeah. my understanding was the way that April was drawn, she might have originally meant to be a woman of color. And even Eastman said it was based off of his girlfriend at the time. Who was indeed a woman of color. So yeah. it's kind of like, guys, what are you even complaining about? So I'm gonna grab I'm gonna grab um Adam's previous point. Um and and use it as as a big portion of where a lot of the vitriol is coming from. 80s and 90s. Um <laughs> she was drawn in a very particular aesthetic fashion. Um and that that's kind of what a lot of the older generation looks to for the template of April. Mm -hmm. A lot of that generation has no idea about the the old Mirage days and and the fact that the turtles were anything before the cartoon and all of that kind of stuff. Many yeah. of those people from talking to folks have no idea what Mirage Studios even is. And so that's kind of where that's coming from. It's very solely based off of the canon of the stuff that's awarded because the reality is, is that we are a generation unlike many others that are, are nostalgic to a toxic level. Like the amount of toxic, yes. of toxic nostalgia that's going on is, is absolutely insane. And so the fact that like, so, so as somebody who's who's lived in New York, right, I can tell you that if they would have made 
April look the way that she did in the 80s and 90s, that would have not been authentic to the, to New York. It just wouldn't have been. And that the way that they did that was perfect for the story that they were telling. Not to mention Ao Adibri, who, uh, for those of you that have watched The Bear, she's Sid from The Bear. Um, like killed it in that in that role like was so so good in in the role of april yeah yeah we are living in a culture right now where it's very us versus them and whenever you listen to the arguments for like let's say um let's say for april's skin color when you sit and listening to the arguments on either pro or against or whatever the reason um it's it's so much it's so much more nuanced that on both sides of the thing. And uh, although I don't, you know, I, I think, I think for me, I take the standpoint as there's some characters that things like their gender in their race, it doesn't matter. Like for example, you know, James Bond, it doesn't matter if James Bond is black or not. It doesn't change the essence of his character. And for April O'Neil, I don't think it changes either. And, you know, I think in a lot of ways, I think your argument is that it actually improves her character and it's more authentic. And I think a lot of the complaints of people on the conversation of color and the conversation of gender swapping and changing these things around, it's the disingenuous nature of it. Because yeah. it's not that, you know, it's just, it's done so disingenuously. And I think something that I'll, that our age group and our culture can agree on is we're so tired of people telling us what we think we want to hear or telling us you know, that if we have a problem with something, we could, we just need to get over it, that there's something issue. It's so much bigger than just, you know, it's so much, there's so much more, there's so many bigger and nuanced things going on, you know, for better or worse. Um, um, you know, and I, I think for me, I think my issue of, you know, I think for like me, for in the subject of like April and Neil, I think with skin color is a matter of, I just feel like it was done because they wanted, you know, they did that to just check the box and not because, hey, we have a really interesting story we want to tell. And and maybe I'm wrong. And I think I think for me, it's because uh, I have negative feelings towards Seth Rogen to begin with. I don't think he's a very nice person. And uh, I think it's pretty evident when you listen to him talk, you know, that he really uh, it, it, that he's really. Uh, cruel and mean and so i have a negative feeling towards any decision he's going to make and that's my personal biases um but i think it's important to when we're discussing some of these issues of you know the the big debates around around these issues to remember that i think it's a little bit more nuanced than you know these people are just bad because they don't like it i think they're all people that are racist but maybe they're all racist but i think there's a lot of people that just have really genuine feelings of frustration towards the mainstream media mainstream um filmmaking society and uh i think it i think it's i think it can be i think it can be uh i think it's important to be to remember that you know what i mean does that make sense yeah yeah, yeah. um a couple things before you respond joe um I see what you're saying. And a lot of it is like the complaints that I have when Disney's live action, they do a lot of like swaps and stuff like that. Um, I'm not going to do anything specific because whatever I choose specifically will upset somebody. The, the thing that mm. really usually bothers me is when you tell the exact same story and you just change something, because then it's like you're saying, mm. oh, no, these people have to have our stories. 
instead of saying that there's value in their own stories, you know, like we can't just Uh tell a new story and build up their own characters. We got to give them ours. I mean, that's not other cultures are valuable. Let's tell their stories, you know? Um, And and I think with this, it seems like, and I'm not sure, which is why I wanted to go before Joe did. it, It really feels like they're telling a whole new story. And I think that's why it didn't bother me of the idea of April being different, because if you're going to tell a new story, tell it as authentically as you can. But if you're just going to do the same story and just replace characters, it feels like you're just trying to check boxes. And that's that's when I'm with you, Adam. And I'm like, I don't like that. And, and I think initially my gut reaction, because I have negative feelings towards Seth Rogen, um, my gut reaction would be like, oh, here we go again. Another Another way, but at the end of the day, you know, listening to you, Joe, speak, I'm like, Joe makes some really valid points. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. And, you know, it, it's one of those it's one of those character traits that I think, Joe, you make a really good argument that it actually improves her character and is more honest to the original character and that she was originally changed to fit what, you know, what television show makers thought would sell toys better you know, and so I, I agree. With, I, I'm convinced by your point of view that at the end of the day, it's better to have done this than, let's say, you know, appeal to that 90s manu- toy manufacturer kind of mindset. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm going to say this and then I got to and then I got to bounce. Um, so I, I would agree that if that were if it were the case of just changing things for the sake of changing things. I think sometimes that's problematic. I think other times it doesn't matter. But I I in this in this situation, in this scenario, without pulling in anything about Seth Rogen, this this was authentic to the story that they were telling. And I guess I'm of the opinion that working and again, I'm I'm shaded by the fact that I am in multi-ethnic ministry. I absolutely celebrate when the fact that um, people that don't look like us get an opportunity to be shown because for like years, for decades, for a very, very long time, it was only people that looked like us. I agree with you completely. A hundred percent what you can believe. I just, I think at the same time, I think that people would, I think the problem is you have one side of this argument that's not expressing themselves. It's it's it, because it's not just simply it's, you know, for like, you know, not for d- bleeding into Star Wars, you know, the there was a huge debate around, I can't think of a name, and Kenobi, uh, the, the, the character that was added in Kenobi. And a lot of people are like, I don't like this character because of A, and then the response to the other side of the aisle is, no, you just don't like her because she's black. And that's and a lot of people that'll complain, and that's part of the issue is, is just as much as you have people that are racist, you have people that want to shut down conversation, um, that want to shut down conversation uh, and, and try to try to paint people as racist when they're not. You know, and I think that's, I think that's, I think that, I think there's a really good conversation and I think, you know, maybe that's a good conversation for another time, but there's just a lot of nuance in these conversations. Yeah. Uh, I think we lost Joe. 
Um, I got. I, I got to say, I, I am. I am with him. I do like the representation. You know, I like when we tell news stories that's authentic to that community and show these people as heroes. That's one of the reasons I love Blue Beetle. Right? Like this was originally that character was this ethnicity. You know, and they told that story and they were genuine to it. They didn't just plug it in. Um, I feel like a lot of times when we're looking at the Disney parts of the like whenever they do that and like live action stuff, a lot of times you end up with this like reverse of what the church does that I don't like with missionaries, where a lot of missionaries go to other countries and try to make it white culture. And we're really like we're evangelizing, but we're also teaching them how to be white, more or less, even if we don't say that's what we're doing, you know. Um, and, and I feel like a lot of the times you get that like in reverse when you get these movies of, oh, we're going to show these other cultures and stuff by making a movie that is based on white culture where all the characters act just like, you know, we do, but make them look different than us. And I'm like, I mean, yay, I'm glad representation, but why well, not be authentic to the culture? <laughs> and it's it's and it's not just that. It's also it's just like we want to celebrate other cultures and we want it to be good. We, we don't want the pitch to be, Hey, this is a movie about, uh, this is a, a movie about a, uh, a, a Latino family. And so you should like it because it's about a Latino family. It's like, this is a story about a family that's really strong and really good. And they're Latino and it's a part of who they are. And I think that's the problem because when you look at movies, like let's say Moana that celebrates the Hawaiian culture, it's really loved. I don't know anyone that says, oh, I hate Moana because, you know, it's about, you know, it's about a Hawaiian culture, you know, um, uh, Encanto. I love Encanto. I think it was fantastic, but their, their, their culture isn't a selling point. It's a part of the story and it's a genuine, real part of the story. And it's such an excellent story. If, and I think part of it is, is, you know, what makes stories so good is when they can be universally applied. And, I think the story is better because it's set in this Colombian um, culture. But if the core of the story, if you take it out and put it in any other culture at any other time, there's still universal truth that can be applied. It's just set in this setting and the setting just adds to that story. And I think that's what people get frustrated about is they want more of that and less of, hey, look, we made this character and we made them black or we made them uh, you know, some sort of ethnicity, uh, you need to like it because of that. And if you don't, you're racist. And that's what I feel like a lot of people feel like. They're being vilified because they don't like something because they don't think it's good. And they're like, well, you don't like it because you're racist. And I think that's the problem. And I think something that when I look at, as I'm studying Christ and as I'm studying the Bible, you know, Christ had a just as much love for the Pharisees as he did for the sinners. You know, it's just that the Pharisees didn't want to listen to him and the sinners did. And Christ knew that. And so Christ had to approach. But we often, you know, and justifies what the Pharisees did. They were wrong. But we have to remember that Christ loved them just as much as he loved the sinners. You know, just as much as he loved the lame, you know, the, the, you know, the lame and the, the prostitute and the. And, and I think as Christians, we jump on either side of that bandwagon and be like, okay, I'm either on this side of the aisle or on that side of the aisle. And as Christians, we always have to remember, no matter what field of, we're talking about, God wants, we are meant to be separate from the world and not of the world. And I struggle with this because I know I can definitely be like, I could definitely fall on one side of the aisles, but I've had to learn that as I grow closer to Christ, 
Christ doesn't want me on one side of the aisles. He wants me to live countercultural both sides of the aisle. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. And I want to say like, so for me, you know, I have another podcast, the whole church podcast, all about church unity. So I, I love stuff like that. And one thing I love about Star Trek that's going to tie into this is they have unity without having uniformity, right? Like you don't just have people who look different that happen to act like everybody else. Um, going to like Deep Space Nine, Cisco's dad is absolutely oh, Creole so culture all in. And it's beautiful. And he's a great character. And I don't love him because he's that. I love him. And he is that, you know, like they don't take that culture away mm. from them. And um, in the most uh, I, I love Strange New Worlds, they have uh, the character in Benga. And you could tell like he's very much African culture, but also very much part of Star Trek. So you have this unity without uniformity. And that's what I like seeing. And they're able to do this where it's like genuinely mm. these are characters from these cultures that are truly representing the culture. The story is still good. And we didn't just pigeonhole something in here and tell you you had to like it. That's yeah. what I enjoy. And, you know, a part of it is, a part of it is, is like, if you have one, if you take, like, let's say, a, let's say I create a character and he's a guitar player. And mm-hmm. everything about him is uh, the fact that he's a guitar player. It, it, it defines every single aspect of the character. He's a completely one note character. Yeah. He's just about That's guitars. Cool. That's a pretty boring character. It's a pretty disingenuous character, an interesting character. And when you have films and stories that make it just about their race or just about their gender. That's literally anything about them. You, you change that one aspect about them. And you know, when, it, when it, that's so disingenuous to real life, because, you know, you know, people aren't just, you know, I'm not just white, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so many other things. And that's, I think a lot of the complaints, and I think they do a terrible job articulating. And some of it is racism. Let's be honest. Some of it is racism. But I think yeah. a lot of people are lumped in that category because they see this one note character that's only about this one thing. And it's so disingenuous when there's so much more story to tell. And then they feel like they get vilified for complaining about it. I completely agree. Um, yeah. And I'm sure we pissed somebody off because we talked about race. And it doesn't matter whether you agreed with us or not, because people just get upset when you talk about race, well, uh, you know, <laughs> but. And it is. It's a complex issue. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong. There, there's a lot of things I don't know about other cultures. And there's a lot of, you know, I've, there's a lot of, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't begin to, to fully understand Joe's story or fully understand, uh, you know, and I wouldn't pretend to argue with him on some of these major issues. But I, I can speak from, you know, I can't speak from certain categories and being like, well, maybe let me try presenting this kind of situation in a different way. Because I see that a lot. I see a lot of people like yelling at each other when at the end of the day, we're just not communicating well with each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. With that, um, I don't want to skip Ahsoka. So we're going to we're going to at least skim over it really quickly. Um, If you want more, I'm sure we'll probably talk about it in future episodes. But we are at least going to mention Episode one and two were released this week of Ahsoka. Adam, have you seen it yet? I have. I, I ate them up last night. I went through them <laughs> pretty nonstop. And I, I have really weird. I feel really weird about it because, <laughs> you know, because I look at things. I look at things from a very analytical mindset. You know, I'm, I'm a, I was a theater major. I love criticism and I love um, breaking these things down and looking at them. And, you know, objectively objectively there was a lot of really amazing things happening there. 
and I, I don't think that should be, I don't think that should be overlooked. Uh, the acting is really good. It's really genuine. Um, the storytelling's really interesting. They had some really good fight sequences. They were a little off. Uh, the stylization of the show is really impressive because even compared to Mandalorian, there's there's a really unique style. They they were able to invoke the Rebels cartoon so subtly into the show. Mm-hmm. If I I could totally see if if you like it it really they just were able to invoke it so well um and so subtly that it really does look somewhere between the actual live action and things and like I really couldn't tell if some of the robots like sometimes you could clearly see the defect department slacking but when I looked at those robots man I'm like I have no clue if that's practical or CGI I have no clue <laughs> it, it you know David Tennant's robot if you told me David yeah. if you told me there was a uh, if you told if I if you said that that's David Tennant just standing there and they've computer generated a robot over him, I would believe you. If you said no, that's one hundred percently a practical robot, I would totally believe you. Like just because it looks so similar. Now there was a couple of funky parts in one of the fights. You know, the fact of the matter is, um, the actress playing a soaker, she's almost fifty. Uh, she doesn't seem like she you're physically trained uh, for this role as much. So you can kind of sell they're, they're trying to, and she has physical limitations of her hat because she's wearing this head. She has genuine physical limitations. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that they've done things to try to work away around that. And I think it was really successful in some areas. Um, um, I, I think my only complaint was I really would have loved to see the original actress as much as I enjoy this portrayal. I would have really, even though she's only 5'2", I would have liked to seen the original Ahsoka actress play Ahsoka. I mean, they did it with Bo-Katan. They did it with several other kids. They've gone, Thawne is the same actor who does it in the cartoon. And it's just yeah. like, and I'm just like, I, I would have really loved to see that. Now, they did it because of marketing reasons. Uh, I think a little bit of that disingenuine, you know what I mean? Because uh, I think, you know, they, they did it. They did it. They picked the actress of the all because she's more marketable. She's more noticeable. She's more famous. She's more of an accomplished stage actor. All those things. And those are really good. They did this. They did the same thing with Chris Pat in um, Mario Brothers. You know, he was hired because of his marketability, even though a lot of people were upset that he didn't use the original actor. And I understand that. Um, it makes sense logically to me. I just think it was a, I, I actually think that the character would be better for it. Um, but that being said, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I'm looking forward. Uh, I think I think my only complaint about it is there's so much baggage with this series now. You know, the for be, whether you love the sequel trilogy or not, the there's a lot of baggage with it. There's a lot of contention behind it. There was a lot of baggage and contention with Kenobi. And I think if this was if if even you know, I loved Mandalorian. I thought it was great. I don't think there's a lot of contention around Mandalorian. I don't think people liked it as much in the third season as either of the seasons. That's fine. I still think it's good. I really enjoyed Mandalorian. Yeah. I don't care if Bo Katan becomes the focus of the show. I like the character. Um, um, but I think there's just so much baggage with this show. Uh, I really wish I would have, I really wish this would be like the first new generation of Star Wars. Like, and this is the first thing that came out for Star Wars. I think it would be so much more appreciated than it would be. But I think 
there's all this baggage and I think people are going to let, it's just like with Blue Beetle. There's so much baggage throughout it. I think people are going to miss out on an actual really good continuation to the Rebel series, which was a really good show, you know, and it's the same show run at the, at the, at the head of it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I find, I think it's pretty interesting. Um, the things that stand out to me and most people I saw that reviewed it, right. It, it's either people loved it because they watched rebels and clone wars and man, it had all the like reminiscing, you know, nostalgia vibes or people loved it because they hadn't seen any of it before. And they're being introduced to these characters and they're fun and they're cool characters, mm-hmm. but all the people in between who kind of know who the characters are already, but aren't like in love with the characters. A lot of them are the ones I see that's complaining about it. Um, which I get because they do. They spend a lot of time telling you stuff you already know for a lot of us. Um, and the pacing's mm. a little bit weird. I'll give them that. The pacing's weird. The actress's well, like, physical ability, like you said, that definitely does stand out. The pacing's weird because we have gone through a season of filmmaking where pacing has been so abused. And I use that worm loosely, but you know, when you look at when you look at the original Star Wars and even in the episodes, there was an up and down effect to these things. Mm-hmm. There was an ebb and a flow. The most recent Star Wars movies, it was especially Rise of the Skywalker is go, 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 point to point to point to point. And they did this in Mandalorian too. They did this in Lord of the Rings, uh, Power of the Ring. It's just from beat to beat to beat to beat to beat. There's no sense of time. There's no sense of space. There's no sense of, storytelling and in in any good story you have to have these moments of up and down you have to have these moments to catch their breath and i actually think if you compare this movie to the original trilogy you'll see a lot of similarities into the ebb and flow of things and i actually really like the pacing i like that we had these moments of characters standing around having conversations and there was character development and we had moments to breathe and then we had these really cool fight sequences you know, with the lightsabers actually functioning like lightsabers again, you know, because I know that I know that was a petite for me that, you know, newer Star Wars, the lightsabers function. Yeah, they, they functioned a little bit differently. This they they actually slice through things. They actually cut through things. You don't feel like it's a baton whacking into things, but actually a blade cutting through things. And it, it was very visually stunning in that way. Um, but but uh so yeah, there's a lot of return to form and a lot of return to style that honestly, I don't think as an audience is we're not used to anymore because there's actually some care and standard to how that how the story's being told. Yeah, I'm going to disagree really quick. I'm going to move on to the stuff that I did like about the show. Um, as like the pacing stuff, it did, it did have ebbs and flows. The reason I don't think it was like the original's pacing is it's like it ebbed and flowed in the wrong places. Like it's highlighting and taking a long time on stuff that doesn't matter. And then rushing past stuff that I actually wish they would have sat in longer. So I was like, I, I just, I didn't like where I can they see chose that. to highlight. I can see yeah. that. I can see that. Like the tea scene for me was weird. I, I was like, well, why? <laughs> but yeah, that was a little weird. I do have high hopes. Um, I, the thing I was most excited about is the thing that I was originally the most worried about. Um, if you know Ahsoka's history, she has this whole history where she started being trained as a Jedi, became a Jedi Knight, left it, deconstructs her faith as a Jedi, um, realizes all these things about the Jedi Council are just actually kind of evil. They're kind of kidnapping people and forcing them to behave certain ways. And it's actually just a cult. She leaves that. 
she she's not ever becomes a Sith. She's just kind of this in-between place and she's struggling with what she believes, where she wants to be in things and like what is her identity, right? And I, they kept doing this stuff in like Mandalorian, Boba Fett, whenever she shows up, they just keep addressing her as a Jedi. And I'm like, great, they're just going to act like all of this really cool struggle with her identity never happened. Then the show starts, the scroll, formerly a Jedi. Formerly. Okay, so we're getting back to she's not a Jedi. And they even do a callback when you see these two bad guys that aren't really Sith because they have orange lightsabers, not red. And they're, they go, we're not, we're no Jedi, calling back to Ahsoka's battle with Anakin when she's fighting him. And he accuses her of doing something that Jedis can't do. And she goes, well, I'm no Jedi. And she does it anyway. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man, they called that back. And you see this, like, comparison of Ahsoka and who we are assuming Sabine's got to become her Padawan or her apprentice, whatever. And then you see this guy who's not really a Sith, who was a former Jedi training this other girl who has Jedi Padawan braids in, but still has an orange lightsaber. So you see these, it's almost like instead of Jedi versus the Sith, we get this not quite Sith versus not quite Jedi. <laughs> and that's a dynamic well, yeah, and really interesting. <laughs> I think it's really interesting too, because I think it's, I think the injury, you know, because I, I think I think you make the point, you know, they're, they're trying to break up the idea that the Sith are evil and the Jedi are good. I think they're trying to break up that point. The dangerous area that they're in is they have to be like, is this po is there is this sense of there needs to be this sense of good and evil. You know what I mean? Just because not all Jedi were good, but not all Jedi were evil either. You know what I mean? And I think that's really, I think they I think they have this really important balancing act, you know what I mean? That they have to, that they have to be careful of um, because uh, there is, you, the core essence of the Star Wars franchise is the struggle between good and evil. And uh, I think it's important to make that distinction. Does that make sense? So one thing, one thing I like about um, Legends canon and then what I like about Last Jedi is they keep using this phrase in all the other movies and act like it's not a thing of the balance of the force, right? And it's not good guys should mm. win over evil, but there's this like balance. And in, in you know, Legends, yes. you have the gray Jedi that use some of the dark side of the mm. force, but use some of the good side. And you can be good or bad gray Jedi. There's even such thing as dark, je dark Jedi, right? Like there's bad mm. guys who are Jedis. There's good guys who were, there's a race called the Sith. <laughs> like so you you can yeah. have all of these things within this so whatever it, it, they start to do it in last jedi and they just don't deliver in rise of skywalker right where you see you see kylo realizing maybe the sith aren't completely right and you saw ray realizing maybe the jedi weren't completely right and they mm -hmm. kind of ended on this cliffhanger of maybe it's not about things being passed down and anyone can be a jedi anyone can be a sith maybe it's not about empires and religion Maybe there's some other way. And then Rise of Skywalker comes along and it's, here's the Emperor, it's bad guys and good guys. And I'm like, uh, but you had such mm. an interesting well, thing going because, on. Yeah. Sorry. And that's because they don't understand the fact that Anakin really did fulfill the prophecy. Uh, well, Anakin really did bring balance to the Force. And that's what's so interesting is the balance was no Jedi and no Sith because they both, they both had their issues. And that's what we forget. And I think to your point, I think that's the focus that they need to focus on is that um, 
is the is the the concepts of what is the light side, what is the dark side, and I think Re, I think uh, Clone Wars experimented with that in the whole planet of you had the the essence of the Force, and then you had the essence of the light side and the essence of the dark side. If you remember that, if you remember those episodes, yeah, yeah, uh, the brother and the mother, the brother and the sister, and the you know, because that was a huge part of yeah. that conversation, and I think that's true to Lucas's original vision. Yeah, and Ahsoka actually dies in that episode. It is brought back by the light side. Um, also, yeah. just one yeah. thing. The reason her lightsabers are white, just like the reason those guys' lightsabers weren't red, but they were orange, hers is white because she drained the color out of red lightsabers. So they were red, she drained mm-hmm. them, and now she has white lightsabers. Mm-hmm. Such a cool character. So much nuance here. I'm excited to see what they do. There's a lot we could talk about. Yeah. Time travel is kind of hinted at. Other galaxies are hinted at. There is a ton to this. Um, and I'm sure I know Will's going to be doing episodes, what's new and talking about Ahsoka further on. So we will come back to this. We are going to dig a lot deeper into it. But for now, when we're thinking about the history of Ahsoka, we're thinking of this like she dismantled her belief in the Jedi faith and realized what they were doing wasn't quite right. The question is, do we want to see her come back to faith, more or less recreate Jedi, reconstruct you know, because it, it's a very for me, it's a very clear metaphor for how many Christians today of our generation went through deconstruction and are being told either you have to become Christian again or you deconstructing means you're not a Christian at all. And I think a lot of people are in this place of like, no, it doesn't mean I'm not a Christian at all. It means I'm not sure about this thing and I'm trying to figure out what it means. So mm. I think a lot of people are in a similar spot to Ahsoka, even though, you know, Christianity and Jedi are very different. <laughs> I am. I find that analogy really interesting. I, I might have to go soon because my phone is literally about to die. Um, <laughs> uh, but um, I, I think it is a really good conversation. I think my hesitation is when comparison when comparison uh, the the concept of Jedi's with Christianity. I think I think I think it's trying to simplify Christianity to meet to to, and I I don't think it does. I don't think it does either of them justice, but I see your point and I see the conversation that you're trying to make. For now, let's go ahead and wrap this up then. So I'll just tell you of these three, what I would recommend. Um, yeah, it's going to be Blue Beetle. It's great. Phenomenal. You should watch it. Um, and with that, uh, I do ask everybody who can, if you could just head on over to your favorite podcast app, whatever it is, Podchaser, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, leave us a rating and review. Let us know if you enjoyed the show. If you're on YouTube, hit the like and subscribe buttons. Um, that would be great. Make sure if you want to be part of the lives, that you're on the YouTube, you're on the Facebook. If you want to see some of our other stuff, go to the Patreon. And remember, we are all the chosen people, a geekdom of priests. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.